This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. the hour of nine o'clock. You're on 3RRR on Radio Maranoa. I'm Anthony Boxhaw. I'm Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Beach. Good morning to you, Anthony. Dr Boxhaw. And are you well? I am indeed well on this fair sunny morning leading into autumn. My my favourite savoury, my (coughs) favourite season is what I'm trying to say. Me too. You know, and out there it's lovely. It's like this little bit of nice... Kind of not so warm. And it's just a little, bit, you a, little, a little bit crisp. There's the promise of a bit of fog coming yeah, in the next I love it. few weeks and then, you know, leaves are turning. Oh, it's listen beautiful. to us. And just, it's we're cl- poetic. We, we are poetic. <laughs> <laughs> we have to thank young Tim. Dear Tim. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just, it's, I, I do run out of superlatives. Mm-hmm. Ad- that, my, my admiration for Tim is. Fathomless. Fathomless. Bottomless. Oh, bottomless. It's like the Mariana Trench Mm -hmm. of admiration. It's so, it runs so deep that we can't explore it with mere mortal words. Yeah. What words escape me as they often do on a Sunday morning? He's he's just done it again. 
This is the show about all things wet and salty, and instead of us banging on about Tim with vital bits, which, which, he, does, do which he does every we bloody do weekend. Laugh. I mean, you reckon we'd be over it now, just not even <laughs> yeah, no, mention no, after 20-something years. But anyway, you know. Um, and we have an exciting show ahead for you this morning. We are go, Anthony and I are going to start off with some... Um, well, we're going to talk about a couple of things. I'm going to mention a paper that I didn't get around to mentioning last week, yeah. which is using um, automatic identification systems to... Which are there to track ships. Oh, 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 I heard stop, you go, so we'll pick that up next week. Stop then. ships yeah. bumping into one another. Oh, yeah, I'm interested to hear about this. Okay. Yeah. All, that, all those data go straight to satellites and they've been used by Boris Worm and his colleagues to assemble the first really good snapshot that we have of what's happening with all the fishing fleets out there. <laughs> well, the vast majority of them, at least those which are reasonably sized boats, ships, we have all that information for agriculture and stuff, oh, but yeah, we don't okay. have it for fishing. And I'll talk about that in okay. about 10 minutes. Time. Yeah, nice. All right, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, and, and I'm going to talk about... Um, the, the, I'm going to talk about environmental policies. Mm-hmm. Okay, it might sound a bit dull, but incredibly important. <laughs> so we'll get back to that. <laughs> and then... And then we, then we have... Um, almost reti- recently retired... Yeah, like days. Pr- professor, professor Jeff Westcott. He's coming in to talk to us about the um, Marine and Coastal Act for our fair state of Victoria, which has gone through the lower house. It's now sitting with the upper house. They're going to debate it. They're going to a bit of a punch on about it. And then <laughs> it's, you think? Yeah, okay. and, then, and then it's hopefully going to get through. Jeff has been the chair of that, getting that bill the, through. The, an expert panel. Expert panel is, yeah. is, is the correct nomenclature for, you, for him. You've got to get your nomenclature right. That's right. You know, uh, Jeff, Jeff's going to be here live. Pulsing in the studio, yes. talking to us about that at about nine thirty, and then and then I, to wrap up, you've got something I'm looking forward to very much. So, did you see the weather this week in Europe? How crazy it was! Oh, quite quite scary. Yeah, when, yeah. yeah, very unusual. I mean, do you see the pictures of the Colosseum mm. with not just like a dusting of snow, but like snow? Yeah, you know, you don't you tend not to think about Rome like that. You know, I can think, just can imagine London like that, Rome. Anyway, and so I'm going to tease apart what that's where that's coming from, which of course we all know is the Arctic. But what's going on in the Arctic? And then I'm going to connect that through to this other interesting paper that I saw about uh, polar bears. And how many seals they eat, and how far they need to forage, and some really interesting work that's been done by the, by some people at the University of California in Santa Cruz. So polar bears hey, feeding. I look forward to that ice very much. Eh? Weather. Hey, speaking of weather, nice segue through to what is it? We're so damn smooth here. We are. Um, it's twenty-one degrees. It's going to be today in Melbourne, seventeen to twenty-one. Do you it's know it's already nineteen out there. I, I, do I? I? I don't know that. It's it is, already it 19. Well, that's what my car told me on the way. You know, <laughs> it, I don't it, know how much I trust my car. Partly cloudy. I didn't see any clouds. No, I didn't see on any the way in. Though, but the age is telling me it's partly cloudy. Uh, slight uh, chance of a up. slight chance of a. I thought they said slight shower, but slight chance of a light shower in the morning. I don't, I don't think so. I think you can hey, ignore that. Hey, they've gone back to the old ways, the floral ways. Maybe it's become twenty percent chance of. Oh, it, all, it all got very serious, Man, didn't it? Slight chance of slight, a light shower. What slight that chance mean? of a light shower. Wind southwest 15 to 20, turning 15 to 25k during the morning. So it's sounding like it's out. It's going to be okay out on the surface of the water. Tomorrow, 20 degrees, mostly cloudy. Tuesday, 26, mostly sunny. Wednesday, 28, sunny. Thursday, back up to um, bumping back up to 30 degrees, sunny. And Friday, 30, sunny as well. So getting warm towards the end of the oh. week. And next Saturday, they're predicting to be 30 degrees oh, already. Lovely. I'm off down to the Port Free Folk Festival, so I'm more than happy if it's a bit warmish. It's a long weekend next weekend, isn't it? It is. Yeah, right. it Labor is. Day. Um, tides. 
at Two high minutes. noon. Well, yeah, actually, one minute past high noon, it's going to be low tide. Oh, no, that's at Williamstown. That's okay. Uh, so there's people at, at William. Williamstown. What, they're, not give, they're not giving me the heads here? Well, let's just take three hours off. Speaking of the heads, can, can I? Can you? <laughs> It'll can, be about can, now. Can, can I say something? It'll either be low or high now. No, it'll no, be It's yeah, about three hours difference. Can I say something? I, feel free. <laughs> speaking of the heads, speaking of the heads, our friend Alex, you know, Alex Genuzzi yes. at, yes, um, yes. at Queenscliff yeah. uh, Marine Discovery Centre. I had the good fortune of going down there um, during this week mm. and going out on the marine biology discovery tour oh, with fantastic. Alex. Tim and Terry. Tim was skipper. Um, Terry was the deckhand. He was well, yeah, deckhand. Terry had lots of ex- uh, anyway. He's done anyway. more than just a deck. He is, yeah, is yeah. Terry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic trip. It's really good. Um, yeah, you so you go, out for, you go out yeah. for two hours from <laughs> yeah. the Queenscliff dock. Yep. Um, this time of year, out of school holidays, only take school groups and other people who can organise to get on it through them. But during the school holidays, Joe Public, yep. Jane Public, and the children can go yep. out there. Yeah. It's beautiful. Go out for two hours. Um, Get a little bit of a sample from the bottom, a yeah, gentle fantastic. scrape at the bottom, just a very gentle scrape. Yeah. Seaweeds and a few pipefish and they things that come up. They pop a little kind of cage down there. Yeah, a little cage and, and just things. gently yep, yep. tease some stuff up. And we have a look at it on these trays yeah, on the yeah. boat and go through it all. And Alex, God bless her heart, is rejoicing in the small. So, you know, we know oh, the seals. We went out to, yeah, Frank, we went out to Chinaman's Hat and saw the Australian fur teals, the boys having a fur yeah. seals, not teals, seals. Um did all of that, yeah. beautiful, fantastic, but then rejoiced in the seaweeds. And yeah, you know how much fantastic. I like seaweeds. Oh, yeah. And all the things that hang off them, all and the decorator crabs and the pipefish and the seahorses. Were there, were there school kids on there as well? Uh, there were some other kids on there, but they were undergraduates. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, but the school kids were coming on uh, afterwards. Right, so okay. school groups go, I highly recommend it. So the Queenscliff Marine Discovery Centre, which is run by um, Victorian Fisheries, um, authority now, fish, isn't it? Fisheries yeah, Authority fisheries or something. Victoria, yes, yes. Victoria, so, yes. So it's, it's the Marine and Freshwater Discovery Centre yeah, down there yeah. at oh, the, at, on the Isthmus, the Narrows, as you're coming into Queenscliff. They do great work down there. So hang on. So if you're, a, if you're a teacher, you could book them now and take your school kids down? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah okay. At very reasonable, reasonably priced. Oh, there you go. Mind you, yeah. I should say. You don't have shares, do you? No, just not at all. No. no, okay, yeah, good. No, no. Hey, um, we're going um, to play a quick track. I, I, I think I'm going to start off with something a bit kind of loud. Um, a, bit, a bit of the Stevens from the um, album Good. This one, I think, is called Thirsty Eye, but, um, you know, given when I was panelling last, I just randomly pressed any button and whatever happened, happened. Mm-hmm. I'm trying How'd to that go? be a bit more... I think it doesn't work that well on radio, but we'll give it a whirl and I'm I'm pretty hopeful that what comes out here is the Stevens and Thirsty Eye. Back in a tick. Letting that guitar play out. That's the Stevens, their local Melbourne band. Um, good came out late last year, I think. Um, anyway, I love that. You should. There's another track on that album which is absolutely killer as well. The Stevens. The Stevens. I, I still it's remember that. Good. Yeah. Hey, it's, up, it's, it's clean up Australia Day today. Yeah, it is indeed. It is indeed. And I was wondering what um, Neil Blake, our fair, our baykeeper, was doing. And so I texted him, and he said. 
Captain Trash will be joining the cleanup at Blackburn Lakes Sanctuary at 11am and his identical second cousin, <laughs> aka Neil, uh, will be giving a talk on the vital role of citizen science to inform local waste reduction oh, and cleaning strategies. Fantastic. Brilliant. And um, by the way, that location of Blackburn Lake Sanctuary is off Central Road in Blackburn. Awesome. Um, Neil and I once gave a, a kind of a duet talk about citizen science in, in a way, as in Neil was... Uh, so he's a great speaker. Neil was an excellent speaker, as we know. And, but we gave that kind of perspective of organising citizen science from within government, which mm-hmm. was what I had been doing at the time when I worked in government, and Neil was doing the organising citizen science at the community, and we were both giving two perspectives to a group of uh, in a conference, and it was a it was a lovely kind of connection through to... Anyway, so we're Blackburn Sanctuary. Blackburn Sanctuary, yeah. And there's uh, plastics. Yeah, we know plastics are one of the worst things in the ocean, if not the worst thing in the ocean. And we think about the moment how much is going in there. So that's why Neil is running this at Blackburn Lake Sanctuary because that all feeds so into drain. Things like Gardner's into, Creek yeah. and goes straight into Port Phillip Bay. Uh, for those of you who like reading the Sunday Age, which is a bit fewer and fewer of us, I think, <laughs> on page 13 at the bottom, there's an interesting article on somebody who is indeed doing that in plastic, with, you know, trying to get lots of data around Australia on the amount of plastics which is going into our waterways and then ending up in the oceans. Now, tell me about this, the way that large um, shipping is being tracked and how it's being used by people to actually kind of work out things we didn't know about fishing and fishing grounds. So what Anthony's alluding to is what I alluded to earlier on, which is a paper which has been published in the journal Science, and this was published on the 23rd of February, so just a little while ago, and the title of it is Tracking the Global global footprint of fisheries. So let's take a little bit of a step back. We have a very good idea of the way land is used for agriculture and for all sorts of agriculture, whether it be ranching, uh, whether it be growing stuff, from satellite data and from other data. But it's been very, very difficult to get a a good idea of how we exploit the oceans. Outside of the self-reporting that, that certain countries require but others don't. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yep. which is what I was just about to say. Yeah, the self-reporting. So, so we rely on that. And those data can be quite unreliable. They're not consistent with one another. And, but now, in the last several years, well, probably the last five or six years, and it's got even better in the last two years, we have a thing called AIS, which is Automatic Identification System for Ships, so that any ship which is over 300 tonnes, now that might sound pretty large, yeah, that's but, pretty but, big. but that, 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 that's a lot. I mean, it is quite a big ship. but So does, more, the length small, doesn't matter, it's just the mass? It's the mass. Wow. Yeah. Anything over 300 tonnes has to have it. But anything with passengers on it has to have it. Yeah, um, right. Any cargo ship, I think, has to have it as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, Many, many, many ships have this now. It's to stop the ships bumping into one another. So it's a little oh, bit right. like, a, like an air traffic control system. But oh, kind so of it's not just like a satellite check of like, oh, where you are. It's actually kind of like, I'm here, watch out, look out for me, I'm coming. Yes, that's oh. right. But it does go up to satellites. Yeah, yeah. So all of this information has been collected. And By it was who? collected. Well, it's, it's collected. Like, like, where does it go? The cloud. Like that's is, the, the is cloud. Like a public database. Yeah, that was. A, I didn't read the materials and methods of this paper well <laughs> enough to, to to answer that question for you, Anthony. But we have people. So Boris Worm, who's from Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. All sorts of other people from uh, organisations like Global Fishing Watch in Washington DC, Pristine Seas, National Geographic Society, and somebody indeed from Google at Mountain View, California, huh. have got together and got this paper in Science, 
where they've taken all of these data. So they, pro- they processed 22 billion global AIS positions from 2012 to 2016. Yeah, 22 wow. billion of them, you know, all these little pings going boom, boom. But mind you, the ships send that every minute to a yeah, satellite okay. so that you have yeah. really good data on where those ships are. And then they trained um, a, um, a neural... Well, they generated got computers to, to make these these neural networks, so two convolutional neural networks, um, to take the data on... So one, to identify the vessel characteristics and a second one of these neural networks to, de- to um, detect the AI pos- AIS positions indicative of phishing activity. So to they train the neural network to look at all these pings and then figure out whether that's a fishing boat or not. No. Using... Like if it's stopping, turning, and then, you know... Oh, so the ping something itself out. doesn't say, I'm an oil tanker, I'm a fishing no, boat. I'm no, 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 no. It, it, it's, it's just like, I'm a boat here, I'm of this like, size. It's almost like when, you, when, they're, when you're tracking animals using types of systems, animals move in certain ways, so you can train it to actually go, oh, it must be a fishing boat because it's doing this thing that only fishing boats do. Exactly, you explained yeah, that so wow. well. What a really good analogy. <laughs> um, I wish I'd thought of that. So they have all of this, and and they can figure out what sort of fishing boat it is as well, whether it's a trawler, whether it's a seine netter, whether it's a long liner. Because they only behave a certain way. They only behave a certain way. And it's different, of course, to an oil tanker. Yes. Oh, that's really interesting. So they've got, now they have this enormous data set, which has been really, well, they're only just starting to glean information out of it to get stuff out of it, but now they know that they can... Can actually do this. They can actually do this. So when things, you know, when they want to manage fisheries when we want to you know, really know what's happening with all the fishing. We, fishing, we have these data here. But some of the data that have come out so far mm-hmm. are kind of, and this might sound a little bit flippant, but with fishing, it turns out it's really, really consistent. So it just happens all the time. Okay. So it's just... Someone's it's, fishing it's not even, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, No, but even the patterns in the individual spots where oh. it's happening are quite consistent, except for if you've got say, North American or European fishing boats, then it stops on the weekend. Whereas if you're a Chinese <laughs> vessel, it doesn't stop on the weekend. Whereas and, all of course, chi- the Australian ones are stopping on pretty much every public holiday <laughs> as well. <laughs> but with the Chinese vessels, they, <laughs> have a, they have a moratorium on fishing in the summer months. And oh, you can wow. see that. Or, and you can see they're all being good fishermen and they're yeah. stopping that. And you can see it go, boom, goes really quiet How for the Chinese vessels in the summer So months. hang on, not only, this is really interesting. So for not only can they pick what type of vessel it is but they can tell what the country of origin is or where the fishing well, where fishery is where, from where the fishery is from just from and the behavior of the vessel yes that's right not the ping yeah so oh, chinese fishermen wow. don't take the weekend off no americans but they, but they do stop over summer yeah and <laughs> europeans do and they also take christmas off whereas the chinese don't take christmas off but they of course take chinese new year off <laughs> that is sensational <laughs> Um, other bits of information that, that well, yeah, bits of information that's kind of underplaying it, but the amount of stuff they're getting is really it's, it's amazing. Know, it's be, it'll be an eye up for two. Yeah, it is. It's a real eye opener. And fluctuations they find in fishing. So, for example, there was a um, in the like the nineteen oh, at a particular level, particular yeah. latitude, there was a change in, due to the El Nino or something a couple of yeah, years ago, yeah. there was a change in kind of the, the shift of tuna. So things that people would get with long Because it was suddenly warmer yeah. or colder than it That's had right. been. And yeah. you saw that reflected in the data as well. Interesting. And so has anyone, you know, I know they've got, you know, this is the first time, they're just basically proving the method. But, but I can imagine at some point someone's going to overlay, as we talked about before, the self-reported fishing activity versus this stuff and I just wonder whether there's going to be 
areas of gaps. Uh, well, yes, that you might know, be. Where there are people saying, oh, I wasn't fishing there, and then all of a sudden, well, hang on, there's a whole lot of... And you wouldn't be able to individually tell who it was, but you would be able to show that the paperwork says there's no effort going there and actually there's data show there are, or vice versa. That's right. Yeah, they can do that. How interesting. And wow. we also have lots of other data on... It's never been that kind of oversight. No. And the other, the other group of... Inf- the other bunch of information that we get from the ocean is from... Um, the, the floats that we have out there. Yeah, yeah. In the them. ocean. And those names, the names of those the floats. The Argo floats. The Argo floats, oh, yeah. exactly, the Argo floats. So they're pinging back, you know, salinity, water, yeah. temperature, currents, all of those, all of that information. But now we can marry that up yeah, with... Fantastic. So those data, we can marry yeah. up with what's happening with the fishing. So then we can perhaps... Wow. There's just bring so in, much bring in management, hopefully, here. And, and you know, that we need to leave that area alone for the moment. And or, if you think about the tiny little kind of, um, you know, cube CubeSats that are in the sky now that are basically whizzing past taking all kinds of sensory data you overlay all these things and suddenly you've got you've got just a wealth of information that we've never had that is so interesting I think it is so if anyone wants to oh. read this this is um, and there's a, um, a news and view or a perspective saying keeping watch on the ocean that's by Elvira Polozanski Polozanska this is in the 23rd of February issue of the journal Science but I bet you could get a lot of that information even if you don't have a subscription that is, to that that is so interesting hey now I'm going to jump from that to a completely different thing mm. in um, the state of Victoria we have environmental protection policies mm. and there's a thing called the state environment protection policy which is uh, otherwise known um, by people as the SEP SIP. And what happens is every about 10 years or so, these things get updated with the latest information. And the Environment Department and EPA have just released the draft SEP for all the waters of Victoria. And so it's got all, it's got everything, you know, like if, you know, people are allowed to produce and let things run off factories and, let the, you know, whatever it might be, there's all of the different levels of, you know, protection levels against chemicals, against nutrients and all kinds of stuff. And it's open for public submissions. And I think actually I might get somebody in to talk about this in the next month or so because it's open for four months, so until June. Um, and so people can go and have a look at, there's a thing called engage.vic.gov.au and actually it's on the front page and you can go in. Now, it's not for the faint-hearted <laughs> <laughs> but there are some really interesting little explainer things, you know, like not not so much environment protection policies for dummies but, you know, like it's almost like you can actually get in there it explains a bit about it. And if you have a particular interest in, say, I don't know, groundwater or marine waters as many of our listeners may... What's stuff going go into water, into our waterways, into water, Gardeners Creek, those things? What's the story of plastic into the... You know, like all, all these things, you could you could have a look and see if it's in there and then you can make a comment and say, well, actually, you know, that's important that that, you know, goes... Or, oh, whoops, this bit might be missing. You know, that's another thing that's always useful. And so I think often for these things you'll get people who say, oh, I don't like this, I don't like this. But it's equally as important, I think, for government bodies like the EPA and the Department of Environment, et cetera, to hear actually this is a good thing. So I would suggest that, you know, people want to, if you have either of those views, make them known. And it's all there. You can, like, see every little piece of the entire puzzle. So, so again, for me, what 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 is that website? Do I just go to the oh, yeah. EPA? Engage. No, just go engage.vic.gov.au. It's a platform, like, for engagement, I guess. So if you've got any issue that the, it might be under the purvey of the Environment Protection Authority, if you've got a suggestion... 
You can go there, you can have a look at see whether it's in there and go, oh, good, I really like that bit. Or, or even if you... go, why isn't that bit in there? Or even if you just want to say, well done. Yeah, exactly. And there's a, there's a whole... Um, they have the, like they have to do these things that like um, policy impact assessments. Like, what will this cost industry? What would it cost the community? You know, if you were to implement these things, because the levels, you know, thankfully in many cases we know more about things over time. Yeah. We know the impact, and so either that means that you can go, oh, it wasn't as bad as we thought, so you can lower them, or you, or oh, it's worse than we thought, so you raise them. And so the bar's been going up and down, and all kinds of different toxicant loads and things in there. So. Yeah, it's about a five-year process to get these things up and running. So anyway, we might get someone in to have a look, but I'm going to stick that link on our on our Facebook at some point. I wonder how many um how much how many people are going to get coming in and talking yeah, about, about well about I'm thinking about those foams the you know, the fire retardant absolutely foams, PFAS all stuff that stuff and, yeah yeah and and you know there's things in there about all these and you know they're they're kind of like not the stuff that you and I would take to bed to read for fun hmm. but they're so important these kinds of these kinds of documents because they effectively set the guidelines you know the levels for like ten years. Well, so yes. it's important for people to have a view on them. Um, I'll stick it on Facebook. Uh, we're going to have a couple of quick messages and then um, back with some Marlon Williams and uh, then Associate Professor Jeff Westcott. We're talking about marine, coastal, more things in Parliament. That's right. And more things marine, weirdly. Absolutely. That was Marlon Williams from Make Way for Love, his new album. Um, Marlon is... I, I reckon we could almost call him a local boy. I can't he's a New Zealander and we do that all the time. It's not fair. We're all brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> we ship back the people we don't want. I reckon give the New Zealanders their own... <laughs> You know, let them have their own. Well, they could have. They could, they could have us as well if they want us. <laughs> no, they never claim us. <laughs> I saw Marlon. Anyway, Marlon. I saw Marlon. Um, well, not record his first album, but, but play from his first album at the place which it was recorded at, which was Lunage Cafe in um, Fitzroy slash Collingwood a couple of years ago. And he was there with Aldous Harding and, and yeah, oh, wow. those, those two. I just love them both. He has an. Um, it's it's almost an. An unreal voice. Yes. Like I, you know, there are just some voices you kind of go, wow, where do you get that from? What we just listened to is Beautiful Dress, again from Make Way for Love, Marlon Williams's new album, which I highly recommend. I also highly recommend you listening to the next 10 minutes, not because of any sense of arrogance here that we run one of the best marine radio shows on this fair planet. You do know we're about the only one. But anyway, <laughs> we're about we are about the only one. But I'm, but I'm joined in the studio by, well, Anthony Boxall, my co-host here, um, but also Associate Professor Jeff Westcott, who was the, um, or is, the chair of the expert panel, which has been dealing with the, the Marine and Coastal Act which, as I mentioned before, is um, has just recently passed our lower house, house of state parliament, and it is moving um, to a punch on in the in the upper <laughs> house coming up soon. So, welcome, Jeff, and thank you for joining us live in the studio. Uh, thank you very much. And I'll, I'll, I'll get, give you a bit of volume there, so we can so, so we can make it worthwhile you coming in here and speaking, <laughs> so we can hear you. Thank you very much. 
Hey, uh, now I have to do a thing now. And would you stop touching your? I'll do it again. No, no. don't, don't. Um, that, that I'm in this circumstance where I have to declare an, inf- an an interest here, because I actually, as a lot of listeners would know, um, as one of my things, chair the Victorian Coastal Council, which is the existing body under the existing legislation that is that is the current one. Which should this go through the House, of course, this would replace. And so uh, clearly, I just want people to understand that. So in a way, Dr. Beach, you may I'm just interview gonna, both of I'm us. I'm just going <laughs> to ask you both questions. Yeah, and, and you're, and you have both declared you declared your interests. We know all about this. So, so Jeff, my first question to you is: Can you take us through the process? So we have a new Act, the Marine and Coastal Bill, which, yeah, let's pretend I know nothing, which is pretty damn close to the truth. <laughs> so we we need a new bill to look after the coasts. And you know, all that stuff that we talk about on this radio program, we need a new bill for it. Is that right? Yes. So this is all kicked off in the last state election when the then opposition Labor Party promised a new Marine and Coastal Act um, uh, to integrate across the board. And that kicked off in the public uh, consultation process in the middle of 2015 with the appointment of an expert panel and a community reference group. Uh, with all the stakeholders on that. And uh, you are chair of said expert panel. I'm chair of such, uh, said expert panel, uh, which uh, produced a discussion paper in the middle of 2016 and then a summary of uh, what was a considerable, uh, well over 100 submissions and something like, I think it was nine uh, different uh, stakeholder events across the state from one end to the other. And the recommendations of our expert panel were were passed to the Minister for Environment in December 2016. It took um, 2017 to draw up the bill, which is about the usual procedures, and it was tabled in Parliament just before Christmas um, of 2017. And then uh, with a first reading speech was the way you introduce something to Parliament. And then on the 20th of February, it was debated in the lower house as a bill, and uh, it was passed because of the opposition, the uh, coalition of the Liberal Party opposition. Yeah, there was um, bipartisan agreement. Bipartisan yeah. agreement. So that's that's always a good good start oh, yeah. in terms of getting things through. Uh, so it was. Uh, I've got. I'll refer to some of the bits and pieces there in a moment. But uh, it's now passed the lower house, and it's on the way to the upper house. So. Uh, and if I might add just one thing about the why. Jump in. Yeah, just the why. You know, the, the, I think it's important too for people to understand that the previous act, which was called the Coastal Management Act, um, covered really well all the coastal activities really well and had gone to different setups for that and different arrangements. And there were some things in, you know, that people might want to tweak, but it really was quite um, mute, mute on the marine. So I really had nothing much about marine. It had been written 2030. Well, Jeff, you were involved in writing it 30 years ago, probably, wasn't it? 1995. There you go. Yeah. And um, really, before we knew what we know now about sea level rise and climate change and the and the various potential impacts and those kinds of things, and so it was it was based on brilliant kind of knowledge of the time, and we've got new knowledge, and so in a way, and then of course, I think the other big gap for me in the old act was it just did not recognise traditional owners just did not recognise the importance of Aboriginal heritage in our coastal marine environment. So from those things alone, they were kind of some of the drivers of, you know, let's have a look and review the system, the way it operates, but also these are things that are missing. So those are some of the why. 
Okay, and when you said before that the last one just looked at coastal and didn't go to the marine, that by that you by coastal you mean going down to the low water mark? Yeah, well, it did kind of kind of go out to the nautical miles, but it didn't have any structures in place to look after it. So, I, one of the strongest features of this new act is it actually defines the environment. So, if it was vague as Anf is saying, uh, so we didn't know for sure, you yeah. know, people could or could not sort of depending on their mood at the time take it into the coastal waters that go out to three, three nautical, nautical miles. miles offshore. So, um, which this, is how far a cannon can fire. Which is how far a cannon can fire, <laughs> yes, which is the which history is, of the <laughs> three <laughs> nautical mile limit. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. It's a fantastic piece of history, of that. <laughs> Victoria's so, maritime limit is based on how far a cannon can fire. Well, yeah, the cannonball, yeah. The, yeah. Cannonball. In the old Boom. days. Yeah. Boom. So... <laughs> It certainly does that, and it, it ex, it's very explicit. It's one of a few acts that actually defines the marine and coastal environment of Victoria, so there can be no doubt this time around. As yeah. Anne said, one of the strongest features is that not only does it um, acknowledge the traditional owners' rights, it also acknowledges their knowledge yeah. and their aspirations towards management, so it's a very strong in that area. It also adds climate change into the objectives. And from a planning perspective, you know, and these things are tools that get used by, you know, councils and CMAs and industry and individuals, recognising the importance of what we know about climate change enables you to not make mistakes now that, you know, you're going to regret in 30 years. And, you know, it was arguable whether the old act allowed that. Mm. It probably didn't as well. I suppose the other explicit marine marine estuary uh, point is it's absolutely explicit that the Gippsland Lakes are inside this act. So the Gippsland Lakes are completely covered. But that was a grey area before? It was a grey area before and that came out of a stakeholder analysis that, sure, around the shoreline of the Gippsland Lakes and if it was in a park or in a local council or in a port it was clear, but the actual open water in the Gippsland Lakes was absolutely grey area and may have just fallen through the cracks. So that's very obvious. And these things sound kind of, you know, a bit weird and esoteric, but when it comes down to actually having, you know, a government body or an industry or a community group actually responsible for either managing or wanting to develop an area, it's really important to know who runs it. Uh, yes. Like, it's super important. And and so those accountabilities being a bit blurry because, they, you know, just at the time they didn't seem like they were important to be clear on, those things have been cleaned up a bit. You but, said this... This went through on one single day, February 20, I think, Jeff, bipartisan support in the lower house. I, does this reflect um, a fantastic chair of, of getting this paper together? I mean, of the expert panel, you've done oh, a really brilliant. good job. I mean, do, do, I, do I have someone else in the room here who can slag him off and yeah. say, no, it was no, 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 no. I think it's, it's worth mentioning a few of the other features. There, that there, are, must, that are there must be some... I'd like to, I'd like to hear about the, the hurdles, the things that didn't go in, if you can possibly talk about those that you would like to go in. or like I know, well, I know, I know people like VMPA, for example, yes, so it's uh, not ideal. So let me just mention a couple of quick ones because, and I'll, I'll mention the critique of, of various ones of these as it goes. So the marine and coastal... Stra- uh, the coastal strategy that has been produced every five years and has really been a very uh, great strength was getting bigger and bigger. It's going to be separated into marine and coastal policy, which will be like the water policy, a, you know, a long-term overall policy strategy, and in that it will have a framework for marine spatial planning, which is a huge... Uh, plus within within the Act. There has been some concern expressed by the Seafood Council about um, that aspect that um, Mr Wakeling, the Shadow Minister, in supporting 
the bill. Yeah. He, he raised um, that concern. Uh, the, then there'll be a marine coastal strategy, which will be much more about the sort of doing, the action statements of prioritisation. Uh, there's been a critique from the VNPA that both those documents will be prepared by the department, when in the past they've been prepared by the Coastal Council and then... Uh, they're the government's documents, but the Coastal Council's run the process and done the drafting. The department will do the drafting. So the, the VNPA's got a... Right. Just for those that, that don't know, VNPA's oh, the Victorian National Parks Association. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. I should have done uh, The regional delivery framework's been changed. We've had three regional coastal boards, um, but they've been uh, under-resourced and have really struggled for the last few years. The One of the best features of the Act as an academic is that it integrates catchment management with coastal management by giving the responsibility for regional roles to the existing coastal catchment management authorities. So that ties them in. Uh, there is, in the, in the debate on the bill, there's um, concern again, or, I think originating through the VNPA, expressed by both the Greens and the Libs, that uh, you need to resource those catchment management authorities and you need to make sure they've got actual marine and coastal people on the authority. So that's... Seems like a reasonable request. So, so is this the kind of stuff that will be debated, debated now as it goes to the other I think house? this will be... The, the, the Greens will have a bit more of a say here? I think that's... Uh, I, I suspect there'll be amendments, maybe amendments moved in the upper house, um, but it, the opposition and the government um, have passed it through the lower house. So uh, how strong they will be... <coughs> excuse me, is, is not clear. The other one I'd um, absolutely mention is, because I, I want your listeners to cotton on to this one, the regional and strategic partnerships. Now, these are, as, as I say, regional all strategic and they have the great opportunity of delivering integrated catchment coastal marine management in specific areas along the state or for specific issues and so if something pops up and we think we need to do something mm. about this this is a little chunk of this act which can now work towards doing that well and for example um the shadow minister in the in the uh, talked about the great ocean road yep and the need for some approach on the Great Ocean Road. A RASP, a regional strategic partnership, would be uh, for the whole Great Ocean Road, taking in everything. And, and it's one of these things where you'd often find different government agencies and different even private entities too um, agreeing to work together, but there's no mechanism to kind of... So, kind for of example, the Great Ocean Road, you'd have Vic Roads working together the, with the local it, council, like working together with all sorts of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Park And Victoria. then they can all sign on to one thing and they all know the one thing they're meant to be working towards and they do it. Sounds pretty good to me. It, it's a, it's a, These things are... You would think that you kind of just imagine you could get everybody to work together, but everybody has different priorities. Well, and, and I so think yeah, even in our own, the organisations which we all work in, we realise that that can be pretty hard yeah. in itself, let alone, you know, trying to manage something like a road which goes through all these different councils and all of that. I found a thing online, just in case people... So I don't know when it's going into the upper house. I suspect it's in the it, next it, few There's weeks, a real so. traffic jam into the upper house. Okay. It's an election year. This is the... Um, parliamentary sitting before the budget so there is a traffic jam uh, late april may yeah right uh, so well, i found a thing online knowing this is very nerdy i know but you can watch the debate in mm. parliament in victoria like you can on the you know, abc for the national mm. but i so i've posted on our facebook <laughs> if anyone wants to ever watch a live broadcast because i couldn't make it in for the lower house when i was intrigued to hear it but i so i just watched it 
um, sitting at home. And it's quite interesting when you listen to the parliamentarians speak with quite a bit of knowledge about these things. Obviously, they've been very briefed well or they have personal interest and drivers in it. And it's quite refreshing to see democracy working because I tend to see on the news just that horrible question time stuff in federal parliament. Oh, and indeed we do all get cynical about our politicians. And I, anyway, so anyway, it's a useful thing to... I'd just say on that... Um, yeah, last words? Yeah, last words, the, the passion and knowledge demonstrated in that parliamentary debate just shows you yeah. how, you know, they're genuinely representatives yeah, really of the people, the way they, the various things they brought up. On both sides. Oh, oh, both, oh actually, across the whole it was multiple. Yeah, multiple. There, were, there was mm. representatives all from all different political and, and, persuasions. And representing their, their local constituents. Yes, yes that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was quite an impressive little thing. debate, actually. Mm. Nice to hear. I thank you um, very much, both of you. So, um, <laughs> Jeff Westcott... Um, Retirement, busy as ever, I'd imagine. Flat Even busier, out. flat busier. out like the yeah. turbulent people lizard. say, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get busier when you yeah. retire. Anyway, thank you for obviously doing such a wonderful job. I thank you on behalf of all Victorians for doing a wonderful job of chairing um, this bill, the, the, well, not the bill, but the, the Marine and Coastal Act, the, 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 the committee. Thanks very much, Dr. The, the, and, um, thanks for talking about it, and thanks, Anthony, for um, contributing to that conversation. Uh, yeah, now I'm allowed to flip next, back into Now you can other. flip back to <laughs> your other... Um, Identity. I just love that. That is Rosie Burgess. That is Raise You Up. That is from Handful, which was a two-part EP late last year. It was is, very beautiful. That is part two. <laughs> and then speaking there, that, that was Anthony. That. I'm, I'm Dr. Beach, and this is Radio Marinara, the show about all things wet and salty. And the program is... Well, no, the station is 102.7 3 triple error. And the Arctic. Take us to the yeah, Arctic. Yeah, so did you... This this week, it was remarkable... Scary. ...for what was going on in Europe. You know, that was unusual. They called it the beast from the east. It was really cold weather. And I was looking and I was thinking, what's going on? And there was this really interesting article about Arctic temperatures in the conversation. I went back and had a look and there's a whole bunch of researchers from the Norwegian Polar Institute. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have one. Yeah. Um, which is focused on the war- unusually warm weather in the Arctic. And I'm kind of going, oh, it was warm weather in the Arctic. Why was it freezing in Europe? Anyway, they're related. Well, but, well, but, but hang on. It was, it, yeah, it was like 35 uh, degrees above what it should have been totally, in the Arctic yep. a week ago. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so normally... So it was actually two 90, degrees instead of minus 35 or so something. Yeah, from, from 1958 to 2002, it, it always pops above zero in summer. Right. Um, but but in winter, it's like negative 30. And it's negative 30 right through the northern winter, right through now into the northern or oh, spring. Yep. Is that right? No. Yeah, yeah, spring. <laughs> um, yeah, they're moving to spring, we're moving to water. At the moment, it's a freaky warm summer. It's 20 degrees Celsius warmer. It's been averaging. It's, you're right, it's gone up to almost zero, but it's been averaging minus 10, which is really unusual. And what's doing it is a thing that's a warm weather intrusion from the North Atlantic. The North Atlantic is warmer than it normally is, and it's pushed a whole bunch of warm air up into the Arctic. Um, oh, okay. So that's what I hadn't appreciated from all this. That's what's doing it. Yeah. And this is the weird thing. People so it's may a warmer North Atlantic, the... get warm air, that's pushing up to the Arctic, and then it's pushing out that cold air from the Arctic back down 
Yes, but with one nuance, and that is that there's normally a thing called the polar vortex, which is this this um, kind of circular current, circular air currents that Anthony, run around. Anthony's spinning his I'm spinning fingers. my finger here. That goes all the way around the top of the Earth um, mm-hmm. in the Arctic. And that is one vortex, but because of this warm weather intrusion, it's broken into two vortices. There are two vortexes, mm-hmm. vortices happening, and the one that's going over Eurasia is the one, and what's happening is the warm weather's going up the west side, pushing all the cold air down into Europe. So that's how they're getting it. And at the same time, it's getting warmer in the Arctic and colder in Europe. Bizarre. Weird. The climate models predict this every once in a while. Bizarre, but kind of it's almost understandable because you've got where's that cold air going to go? And cold air sinks, so it's getting pushed back down. Spot on. Normal weather patterns, but it's unusual it's happening. So... It's very unusual. It has been seen before. There was this um, 1896 expedition by some Norwegian you know, guy in probably a wooden ship or something, and they were roughly the same spots where they have the modern weather forecasts. And they had a lovely balmy winter day of minus three. Mm. You know, so it does happen. Right. But when they go back through history and they look at the kind of historical databases they have, it, it's becoming more common. Now, what this means is we've now had the most the record low sea ice extent in the last 40 years. So the sea ice grows out and it um, basically kind of fills up the oceans uh, at that northern end of the world Uh, and it's at the moment the lowest extent ever. Uh, that we've known, say, for the last 40 years, which is unusual. Northwest Passage is going to be opened up, all of that uh, stuff. You can kind of walk, you'll be able to swim through. Yep. You're supposed to walk through, yeah. So anyway, the weird thing about all this is the climate models do predict this, but they don't predict this happening more often later in the century. And, the, and what's happened is they're going in and saying, oh, we might have to go back and look at our climate models because if these, it causes these extreme water um, weather events like in Europe and they had predicted some of them but nowhere near as many as this summer would suggest or this winter would suggest. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, it's a kind of a weird thing. And but, this but, but, then but, brings but, me to polar bears. Well, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. Less sea ice, polar bears need sea you ice to hunt. So, And it turns out that no one really knows exactly how much polar bears eat or how far they go to forage. So these guys um, at UC Santa Cruz, one of my old alumni, they started tracking polar bears and they were looking at their food intake and they did this kind of, you know, a metabolic study on their food intake um, while they eat, while they they forage. Um, And it turns out that the bears need more energy than the theory would suggest or that previous work has shown Mm -hmm. because they didn't have, you know, very tight evidence. So they basically, the first time around, they tried attaching cameras and GPSs to the polar bears and sent them off. Um, But Unfortunately, they froze because minus 30, the batteries, <laughs> they fogged up. And, and pre- presumably they anaesthetised the polar bear oh, first well, they, yeah, before, right, yeah, before attaching a GPS. Yeah, they're very careful. Uh, anyway, they, they went back to the tech people and they got this technology that's basically like a Fitbit. Pretty much. So it's got accelerometers in they went, it. They went back to Q and said, yeah. <laughs> um, and they got better cameras with better batteries <laughs> and they stuck them back on the polar bears and they followed them. And it's, it's, it's hilarious, actually, this article, because there's all these things that go wrong. Where is the article? Can, I, can, it, can well, we the, read? the original article was in the polar... Oh, I've forgotten the name of it. But there's polar a lovely... Bear, polar Bear Weekly. There's a lovely discussion of it in February in the conversation. Okay, um, That's right. worth, you know, looking at anyway the um there's a classic one actually where where they track them and everything's working really well and then this polar bear starts walking and she it's a female and she walks 430 kilometers and they're americans doing this in american and they goes into canada and they can't follow (laughs) 
And so the polar bear disappears with all their tech into Canada and they're sitting at the border and they get fogged in for about 12 days and they're tracking the polar bear and eventually they're like, oh, bugger it. So they, they, they can remotely release this stuff with satellites. So they release it and then the, the tracker floats back into American waters and they can pick it up. But it's just gorgeous. Anyway, the... That, that kind of detracts from it. But they, what they did was they ended up finding out extraordinary things both about polar bear behaviour and metabolism because they took blood samples along mm-hmm. the way. Um, and they saw behaviours not normally filmed. So it's been seen but not filmed. So what polar bears do when they're doing sea ice foraging is they walk on and walk and walk and walk and walk. They find a hole, which is a seal's in access hole, and then they sit and they wait. <gasps> And then a seal, like hours, yeah. And then a seal pops up, and they jump in and on top of them to try and stun them. And then they, and then more often than not, seals get away. So these were data that were found out for the first time yeah. using well, these trackers. Well, they know they do this, but they didn't know how long they sit and wait, or how far <laughs> they walk. And then if nothing happens for a day or so, then they walk again. And so the polar bears are now finding, with the sea ice extent moving, that they've got less areas to forage in. Yeah. And then as they do, and it turns out that they need 1.6 times more food than we thought previously. And so most of the polar bears, and they tracked nine of them, most of the polar bears ended up losing weight and four of the nine ended up losing more than 10% of their weight because they had to forage further to find the holes, to mm. find the seals with the seals. And yeah. So Not good. it's just all a bit connected. <laughs> yeah, very, and why do we care about polar bears? Top of the food chain. That's right. And you mentioned just really briefly, I know we've only oh, got like 45 seconds to on. go, but you mentioned that they took samples from the polar bears during this while the study was happening. So like, you know, blood yeah, samples. Yes. So did the devices take those or did they actually get in, get in and take a blood sample so, humanly? Like you with the other one, I didn't read the full methods of it. <laughs> We'll leave but, it at that. But yeah. I did assume that they were actually in... They were. They did both stationary samples and, and I don't think they were automatically sampled. Like a little pinprick no, or something? No, I don't think so. Hey, uh, thanks very much to um, Associate Professor Jeff Westcott for coming in. Thank you to you, Dr Beach. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Anthony Boxall, and this has been Radio Marinara. The doctors are lining up. They're amassing. And Bron's back next week? Yeah. Brilliant. See you all. Have a good day. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.